How can you be part of a religious community that straight up Sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold The church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to give answers, I would never be a part of a church that's not welcoming The church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually it seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical they are being homophobic too narrow judgmental disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world <sighs> the church needs therapy Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy, and today our very special guest is Kim Honeycutt, which is like such a classic name, by the way. It's like so, like it's like Southern, and it's like it's just such a thing. It's right, so cool. Right. Yeah, I love being a Honeycutt, by the way. <laughs> and Kim graduated from Columbia College with a bachelor's degree in psychology, and then re- received a master's of social work degree from the University of South Carolina. And she founded Peer In Psychotherapy Center in 2005, which is a Christ-centered psychotherapy organization open to anyone seeking emotional healing. I love that. As a psychotherapist, Kim provides individual services at Huntersville office. In addition to providing therapy, she also has been published in several magazines, including My School Rock, Static, and Charlotte Woman, and also has been a speaker at the TEDx event in Charlotte, which uh, I might have a question or two about. And Kim is the founder and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. ICU Talks is a therapeutic community that meets at Mosaic Church, although I saw you announced recently that that's changed. That's true. Yeah, that's true. true. That's changed. Yeah, well, we'll talk about that so you can let people know who are listening in on the third Tuesday of each month. Um, And to discover more about ICU Talks and to view the resources, go to ICU, that's the letters, icutalks.org. She has her own podcast, which I'm happy to have been on before, called Flip Your Lid in hopes of providing people with another free resource for therapeutic strategies, information, and healing. And she is the author of the book, quote, But Your Mother Loves You, How to Overcome the Cycle of Toxic Love and Live Your Life Without Shame. We're going to stop there. Kim, thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me personally today and then with the listening community as well. Thank you, Kevin. You're doing an amazing job with this podcast and everything you're doing. And my audience loved you. We had such a good response to you. I want you to know that. So Mm. very honored to be a part of what you're doing here. Uh, Thanks. Which means also when my second book comes out sooner, actually sooner than people think, that means I'm hitting you up again for part two. I am so (laughs) with you on that. We're doing it. (laughs) You know, let's, I remember when we first connected, I saw that you had, that you did that talk at the TED event in Charlotte. Right. So when I look it up, the talk has this amazing title, right? The talk you gave at TEDx Charlotte is called Shame is the Graffiti That Covers Our Purpose. Yes. So let's just speak, you know, that sparked my interest whenever it was. Let's start here. Great title. Tell me about that title, that talk, and why the real substance and heart of that talk is so important to you and what you believe important for, for others as well. Yeah, great question. So thank you. So 2017, I did a TEDx talk in Charlotte. As you said, it's about shame. And so I consider myself a shame expert. I can thank mm. my mother and so many other people in the world for so freely giving shame to me. The, the unexpected me. people who help us become right. experts Thank on you. things we never wanted right. to be experts right. on. And now I get to make money off of it. Thank you all. <laughs> who, even strangers who spent the time shaming me for no reason. So, <laughs> but part of the talk was about that shame's a gift. And so one of the, the joke I made in the talk is that shame is like an STD. Mm. Like it's, it has to come from someone else. It has to come Mm. from somewhere else. And that's so important for us to know. One of the biggest reasons why we stay very tethered and attached to our shame is that we don't recognize it, that it's not actually us. It's not your original voice that it Mm. had to come from someone else. And it becomes what we call in the world of psychology, the critical parent voice within. Mm. And if you don't identify that, you will make decisions in life about that. And through that lens, which gets you further and further away from your essence, your authentic self, your true self. And we just stay trapped in ego. 
Mm. Whenever that happens. And so it was a it's a privilege to do a TED talk. It was a very arduous process, Kevin, just let you know. Mm. It was a long process, but it was so amazing to do to be able to share with people that I believe that shame and blame are the core of all addictions. Mm. And how does with that title, Shame is the graffiti that covers our purpose? One, how does that metaphor of graffiti work? Like, you know, the idea of graffiti being being on some place that was never intended to be essentially, or at least at least it wasn't wanted right. by the people who erected whatever structure that was. And how how does why that metaphor and then why how does it cover our purpose and get how does it get in the way of this life within us that wants to come out? Yeah, absolutely. So it goes back to if I'm going to listen to the because shame is an emotion and it's a belief. And mm. if it's left unattended, that belief becomes your thought process. Mm. And so now you're being controlled by something that that's only purpose is to protect you. And it's, and it's such, so your motivation actually comes from, and that's part of the graffiti, is it your fear of abandonment, your fear of disappointment, mm. your fear of rejection now dictates your behavior and so shame is now causing you to do so many things behaviorally and thought process wise to in an effort to not feel rejected mm. but you're constantly rejecting yourself in mm. hopes that someone else won't reject you mm. that's that's part of the graffiti right that so this behavior that we can even as a society we even encourage we encourage people to be productive or productivity can be a trauma response Mm. We encourage people, especially in the church, to be perfect. Well, perfectionism is a sign of a trauma response, mm. right? We encourage people to be people pleasers. Mm -hmm. That is called phoning. That is a trauma response. And so we mm. actually, it's, it's, it's all this graffiti, it's all this stuff there. And if I am living in this part of your brain called your sympathetic, which is a trauma response constantly, I can't be my essence. I can't be my true purpose. Mm. So I have to be able to look at all the things I'm doing that's actually keeping me in a pattern stuck where I am. If I'm in a pattern, I am not in true self. Mm. And so be able to see the pattern. And so there's something behind that. If I'm, if I'm in my old story, it's what shame is. And that's an earning mentality. And it means I'm not coming into new thoughts. I'm not open to new things. I, I can't do anything differently than what I'm doing. Then I don't get to be a new creation. I don't get to create a new story. Mm. Mm, wow. I mean, we're like seven minutes in. Come on. I could just end, right. do a little, do a little uh, outro musical <laughs> outro. Hug it out. do, <laughs> do a little musical outro for people right there. And you can just take that seven minutes. Right. right. And do things. How, you know, I so appreciate and love people who are naturally integrating psychology, spirituality, embodiment. And I'm glad that it feels like collectively at least more and more not as a whole but collectively we are moving closer towards seeing psychology spirituality embodiment as all different parts of the same whole right right so i mean there's still many religious people many christian people who see this they have a very dualistic very compartmentalized very antagonistic relationship towards psychology and medication that's the devil why would you yeah. do that when you can't yeah. trust jesus which is we can make jokes about, but ends up becoming so problematic mm -hmm. and so dangerous when that way of thinking is given to people who are in need of a more holistic form of healing. So I think that kind of work, the work you're talking about is so important right now. And yeah. as a psychotherapist, it's so great yeah. as a speaker, as a person who's yeah. leading people, it's just so essential, right? Yeah. It's so Absolutely. important. With that said, what, when we talk about shame as it is not you, it is not your identity, it's been handed to you, it mm -hmm. oftentimes has its own story and narrative connected to it. Mm -hmm. What is, with all of your work and experience as a shame expert, what is like the beginning point, the first step towards transcending and starting to move beyond these trauma responses or these experiences of shame in these old stories? What is like step one of like, now we're beginning the journey? Yeah, so it's such a good question. So let me back up a little bit of, of just kind of understanding that. So most of us have a connection wound, which means as a child, we were somewhere, we something happened and we were seeking connection. And that's crucial, right, to have connection as a child. And if you're seeking connection and it's not seen, 
is not is not mm-hmm. honored in some way, then that happens. But if it happens consistently, and then on top of that, someone shames you for having a need. Someone somehow tells you you're selfish. And I wish the word selfish was taken out of the English dictionary, personally. Mm-hmm. We don't even know mm-hmm. what it means. We misuse it, and we use it to hurt people. We mm-hmm. use it to keep people away from self. And so if you are, as a child, seeking connection, and you get shamed for even having an emotional need, even having mm-hmm. the need to try to feel important, try to feel seen, if that happens to you, that shame becomes embodied, and that mm-hmm. becomes trauma. And so now I'm going to either become preoccupied with you and it's going to be all about your need and I'm going to self-neglect. Or I'm going to become very hyper-aware and hyper-focused on task and achievements. Mm. And so basically I'm going to preoccupy attachment or I'm going to go and avoid attachment. And neither of those attachment styles are not connection. They're just attachments to the task attached mm. to what I'm doing for you or attachment to my job title. And that's the, that's the over-identification you talk about in your book, The Making of a Mystic. It, Hello. Right? Right? <laughs> yeah. It's a good book, y'all. It's really good. It's really good. There's a lot to learn from that. And so, so when we over-identify, and it's not an identification with core, with character, with who we are, we now become the behavior. So if that's who you think you are, then you're constantly mm. having to be addicted to the behavior. You're having to do the behavior or a new behavior constantly. Otherwise, you think you'll be rejected or abandoned or disappointed. Mm. Mm. And then are you really in charge of your life? Do you really have agency over your life mm. if you're constantly doing things out of fear of being rejected? Mm. So as, we're, as we grow and we're older, this can dis- these trauma responses, these, these seem to be these poor, misguided, you know, poor, um, meaning they don't deliver what they're going to deliver, misguided substitutes for connection, overachieving, people-pleasing, being task-oriented or whatever it is. We can dress them up in religious language. We can make them look, we can get promoted because of them. And even if they give us some immediate sense of gratification achievement this person likes me now i can have my anxieties lessened a bit because i'm worried they're not mad at me or whatever it is right but if we slow down enough and if we were paying attention to our bodies these are not mm-hmm. producing in us the actual connection that we desire that we are somehow seeking through them but it's not the same thing that's right that's exactly right yeah. Okay. You know, I heard I heard Brene Brown say this recently, and obviously I, I just very much adore her, and she's brilliant. But she said that the that disconnection is the far enemy, but control is the near enemy. Mm. And that we're so much in relationships trying to control that we can't actually connect. And we, God wired us for a connection. He made mm, your autonomic yeah. nervous system so that you can be connected. And we're at our best when we're connected. We thrive Absolutely. when we're connected. But so many of us actually don't find safety in connection. We find safety in disconnection and we settle for that. We decide that's the most because it's the most we've ever experienced. So going back to your question a little bit, people start hitting bottom, so to speak, on that. Mm. And somehow like there's, there's, there's a void right? There's something that doesn't feel right. And so they will hopefully walk into a therapist's office. They'll, they'll go somewhere. They'll try a church that's actually for them and not just for what they can bring to, Mm. to the service, right? So there's something starts to happen for people to start realizing that it's really the connection we're looking for, not the attachment. But also, you know, a lot of churches don't have a secure connection as their style as the church like they Mm. have they have an attachment of an avoidant attachment which means the people who are running it are not there for them emotionally they're task driven Mm. and Mm. that becomes you recreating your childhood within the Mm. church and so those of us (laughs) who have trauma do really well in those type churches for a little while Because now, once again, we go back into earning mentality and we think you get in. It's like a family system. You know how to do it. You know how to work it. You know how to hop into it. You know how to plug in. You know how to you know how to move around the unhealthiest person in the room, et cetera. That's exactly right. It's a family system and it's Mm. familiar. And so it becomes a second parenting, becomes a second chance in order to have someone approve of me and like me. Mm. 
Yeah. I'm sure when you see toxic church cultures, the documentaries that are coming out right now, leaders in toxic environments, your brain must just be firing off of like yeah. attachment, this task, yes. Yes. this recreating yes. systems when you see mm-hmm. those types of things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I get <laughs> it. And I, I see how simple it is for it to happen. But I think what's, you know, because, you know, I've, I've been sober for 27 years and, mm. you know, never forget that part of my drinking and drugging, like people kept coming to me and saying like, like there's this God that sent his son and like you were worth Mm. it's the son's love and you have this lord and savior that was crucified and and Mm. was resurrected and your life being resurrected like you're worth that at some Mm. point i said yes to that and once i said that and got into the church i was told stop you know you to stop thinking like in such a lofty way of like wow god loves me like i was just absorbing it and just like Mm. wow he really loves me after Mm. my childhood he really loves me mm. but then i was told no you have to earn his love mm. you have to do enough you have to clean enough you have to do mm. enough here you have to read your bible mm. enough in order to receive his love and mm. i i just don't know where to put that i've never been able to understand that because mm. that has nothing to do with the relationship i personally have with god god has yes. never ever yeah. been separate from me ever mm. Mm. yeah i just i forget what conversation i was having but there there's something i i've said in different places where it's this idea of like the issue is never you know so often prayers like i'm sure you've heard things like this you know the way we prayer the atmosphere we assume is that god is somehow this object that is distant who we're trying to i don't know conjure up enough excitement to get you know him because usually we see god as a him to come close for i remember alan hirsch said you know it's like he calls him like the bungee jumping jesus like jesus is on top of the rafters and we pray for him loud enough and jesus bungee jumps we're like he's here oh man he just left again (laughs) right i love that (laughs) um but the issue when we talk about love connection life with god like you're saying and those things are all connected they're all interconnected Mm -hmm. The issue is never, it's not about whether or not God's on the way. It's that so often we're in the way. Oh, that's good. Right. So this shame, you know, the, these trigger responses, it's easier for me to perform than it is to allow myself to actually right. be seen by you in my vulnerability, in my non-doing, in my sort of unguarded self. Okay. And it's like at the heart of the universe is this center of love that's saying like looking at every human being saying just let just let me love you yeah just let me and we're like no let me go do this and let me let me get it five more degrees for a while then then i can breathe no let me stack 50 more chairs because then i'll be be okay yeah With, with that's if that idea is true of that god is just infinitely pouring love out in and through and as and with our world, however a person would say that, and our job is to accept and allow and receive and take in and absorb, like you said, yeah. why is that connection and allowing so hard? Mm-hmm. Why is that so difficult for us? What are we doing? Why are we moving around so quickly? Why is that so hard? Yeah, it's so hard for us to receive. Mm. And the depth of every relationship you have is based on your ability to receive. Mm. And so, especially here in the South, most <laughs> little girls, we are raised with a preoccupied attachment. And so I'd look at it this way. Preoccupied means you're preoccupied with what someone else is experiencing. And so you're underwhelmed mm. with what you're going through. Mm. And so in any time you overthink, overproduce, overdo anything, it's because some part of you is under developed interesting so yeah so a lot of us get raised with this preoccupied attachment and so we're so into what someone else is experiencing we never build that muscle of receiving and then when shame comes in that critical parent voice comes in then i'm not worthy of receiving i can only offer and if all i'm doing is giving to you but i won't let you do the same thing for me that i'm doing for you that will never be a balanced relationship Mm. and so i'm not trying to see God in you and that I'm not trying to have God be the insulation relationship. I am just trying to do enough so that you don't reject me. You don't leave me, but I've mm. left me. Mm. Mm. Right. So mm. I, I think that's an indication to check in. Can you receive a compliment? 
Can you mm. receive help when you need it? Can can you let someone be there for you? And would you be there for them? Is it a two-way street? And because we don't experience that, we have a hard time understanding that God actually wants us to receive from him. Mm. Mm. If you were to take that, you know, there's many different versions, you know, the the overhelping Enneagram two type, the achieving, right. the you look at like a three, the achieving, I'm going to get to the top, I'm going to present my images, it's going to become even more desirable. Or there's many different versions of this. I can win more, I can help more, or whatever. If that person's in all of their normal patterns, seeking the, you know, the 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 perception they desire from others, the praise they desire from others, and you're to stop them and and invite them into what you're talking about into connection that is beyond and before this need this pattern of seeking something else out what would be required of them in that holding space of receiving mm. that feels so daunting or scary or impossible what is that space that as he, pastorally and i'm sure as a therapist it's a fascinating thing where as human beings, so often we resist what we desire the most. Yeah. He what do I desire? Connection. What do I resist more than anything else? Any connection. space that any space yeah. that allows for vulnerability, openness that actually allows the connection to happen. So right. you take that person and you stop them long enough. What is that holding space? That thing that is like, that's the thing required for them to receive the connection. And that's the thing they avoid so much because there's something scary or hard about it. What is that for people? Because the listeners, I know you want to know what that, why am I doing this? Yeah, it's such a great question. And so in the therapy session, about two minutes of a therapy session is usually the true deep therapy. <laughs> people can't sit there for long. They can't sit in it because uh, I'm inviting and they're inviting me to be with them, which is such an honor to a level of discomfort and being uncomfortable in a way that go, it's completely going against every survival mechanism, every coping mm. mechanism from childhood. Mm. Mm. Again, our, our childhood is so much an earning mentality that you're figuring out what you have to do to sit at the table. Mm. who you have to be not who you actually are who wow. i have to be to sit at this family table and to be included in this family and i'm just going to fit in i'm not going to have a sense of belonging but this is what i have to do to be in this family and so if i'm really going to step into my relationship with god i'm going to grow up and get married and have a true relationship with someone then it's about can my essence show up mm. can i learn to be connected and so we learn to get really uncomfortable I will teach people how to experience being in ventral vagal, which I call your internal heaven. It's part of your parasympathetic. It's when you feel really connected, that's where you are. That mm. you're sitting in that and you're relaxed and you're connected. Think puppy, right? It's a place of curiosity, <laughs> right? It's a place of fun and playfulness. It's a right. It's a higher consciousness. And I will teach people how to feel that. You might think about the your wife, somebody that you feel really comfortable with. And then intentionally think of a moment that you felt stressed, got a text message, something happened that stressed you out and to let your body experience that. Mm. And then go back to thinking about that time you were sitting with your wife and y'all just couldn't stop laughing. You were so connected to each other. Mm. When we start seeing that we actually have agency mm. over where we go in our bodies and where we go in our trauma responses, like mm. I can intentionally go into a fight trauma response and then come back out and go into a place of connection. Mm. When we realize we can actually have control over that and have agency over that, then the world's not so scary because what happens to me is my first response is that of an eight-year-old or a 15-year-old. Mm. I have to start realizing getting up-to-date, getting current of where I actually am at this age and who's in my life now so that every mm. response I have is not one from my past. Mm. Mm. As a therapist, man, this is, let's see, we're 25 minutes in. This is already so good. This is, this is like amazing, amazing stuff. Like truly, this yeah. is so good. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story that I think captures some of that. And in light of what you're saying, you can just comment on it a little, because I really feel like the agency part of, mm. yes, we have been hand, no one, 
chooses the the destructive narratives that are within us we've been handed those thank you, you family systems thank Yay. you cultural reinforcing yeah. thank you for all of that thank you churches for telling thank us you that. all thank the you. yeah everything all those things right um but and those are real and they're true in the sense of how much they affect our lives but the agency we have not to will our way through it but to make intentional decisions courageously holding space etc to move beyond it that's such a huge yeah. thing and i'm so glad that you said that yeah. christine my wife and i were at an event in 2016 it was like some it was like a like a church like conference thing great people people who helped us start the church and these are like amazing people not like a big massive like jesus junk light show kind of a thing you know it was much more grounded and these are amazing people yeah. and my wife was um host host co-hosting it with somebody else and she was like seven months pregnant at the time right we we flew it was like the latest you can fly it was in dc yeah. it was like you know she was very pregnant yeah and on the last night, I think we were taking communion and doing a time of worship. It was powerful, this beautiful cathedral. And this woman named Deb Hirsch, who just, you know, I adore, she's a writer and she's like a leader. And she used to lead this church called Tribe in Los Angeles that was started out of Burning Man, like classic, you know, she's, nice. she's from Australia. She's awesome. And we had seen her at a you know a couple of events, didn't know her well, but she's just an amazing person. And during that time of worship, she came up to my wife and I and like asked, like, you know, to pray for us and to pray for the child, you know, in the womb. Yeah. And here's what happened with me. I'll take you through my internal response of that moment. Okay. When she says that, my first reaction is like, I can, it's like my ego contracts and I can feel myself coil up and close down in my mind is something like, man, she just, this is because of my own narratives, my own issues yes. with authority. That's, that's right. There's a mistrust of people in authority. There's a, I have my natural default default pattern has a hard time believing people in authority, especially males, but not limited to mm -hmm. can just take an interest in me for me. I'm like, Oh, you have to do this. This is obligatory. Yeah. Like one of my great, one of my ego's greatest fears is I'm a burden to other people. Right. Yes. I don't want to overstay my welcome. Let me cut conversation short yeah. so I can end it before you can reject me. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. And so here, this woman comes, an amazing woman comes and offers us this beautiful gesture of praying for our family and our soon to be new family. And my first thought was like, she doesn't like not go, you know what? I'm going to let her do it, but I'm just going to sit here and go through the motions. Like whatever. I don't care. Mm -hmm. She's just doing this because she has to, she's a pastor. She doesn't really care about us. Mm -hmm. And I as I'm, fe I'm feeling that happening in real time, right? Not after in okay. real time, I can feel that. And then I think, Hey, Kevin, it's okay. So, some people really can care about you. Yeah. Some people will really just, love you for you and it's okay to let a person care for you it's okay to let a person in authority believe in you care for you whatever it is and the agency part as i felt that it was like i could uncoil and open back up and let my let the connection like you're describing flow and then what happens when i do that i just start crying of course right <laughs> because it's yes. just so damn good yeah because that's what I've been wanting. That, that's yeah. what I want, but I'm resisting the space that carries it. So mm -hmm. in light of what you're saying about agency and you hear that embodied story, how do you make sense of that? Why is that important for us to be able to recognize those patterns at work? Yeah, I, I love that story. And part of my respect for you, which I hate to admit publicly, but part of my <laughs> respect. Well, for you, you, is, you said, I saw in one of your posts, you are still upset that your wife has, you know, helped make you softer. So yes. Oh my goodness. She's making me soft. <laughs> we'll talk about that too. Me, but, uh, that such respect for you that because you are a heterosexual, sex gender, white male, and don't have to be so open to those who are marginalized. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to say that, first of all, like, I love the fact that you have done this journey and mm -hmm. that you have done this so that you can say so clearly my unhealthy ego, because again, our ego is just protective. Mm -hmm. Think of your ego as it, it's what keeps you walking around the promised land. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that wants you to see the same, do the same. It keeps you small, but it keeps you safe. And so it covers the unconscious and doesn't want us to go to that moment of crying mm. because that's vulnerable. And there's mm. some point in your life that that wasn't okay. 
there's some mm -hmm. point in your life to be that vulnerable would not have been safe for you right <laughs> of course yeah. right and so because of that like because you have done the work mm. and that you you've, you've allowed yourself to interact with yourself differently you could step back and this is part of what our goal is with our ego to go from an unhealthy ego to an aware ego means mm. that we step back and look at the conflictual side look at both I can hear the shame-filled voice that comes in and says, you're a burden, no one wants to hear from you. Mm. And I can also look at the other part, there will always be an antithesis that says that, you know, it might be okay to to share what you, you got going on. It could be mm. okay. Can I step back and look at both of those and from there decide who to, what to follow? I am the CEO of the company, but if I don't take a second and step back and look at it, then the people in the mailroom run the company, so to speak, right? I'm just going to do and listen to anybody and everything within me. And so that is really what creates a bridge for us to get to more the right side of our brain that allows us to have an awake, an awakening, a consciousness, a, a super consciousness, which is what you experienced and what you mm -hmm. shared is that, mm -hmm. that it, it went from I can do what I've always done or I can actually relax and go into connection and trust and from there the natural emotions came mm. and you had a different experience and then you have a super mm. consciousness you have a higher consciousness mm. that is therapy that is what i want the church to be that is what i want my ministry icu talks to be mm. right that we are just looking to be safe and mm. be connected and that's part of my pain is that i went to a church for 16 years very very involved one of the speaking pastors there and then I realized that I was gay mm -hmm. and hadn't been in a relationship for 20 years. Met a woman who's now my wife. She's beautiful. She's amazing. She's made me soft. I don't appreciate <laughs> that, but it has happened. She's brought up a lot of money. Yo, I want to help other people be soft. I don't want to be soft. I need to Thank stay you. hard. Thank you. I love when people cry. Don't you That's get where I'm going? You yes. can be <laughs> You can be soft all you want, but why do I have to be soft, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm, and so awesome. it's just, we, we lost our safety. I lost my safety in a church I was in for 16 years. And all of a sudden I was told that people were against me. I was told people were leaving because of me. Like mm. so much happened. And so wherever you all, any of you are in life, if you don't feel safe, you don't feel safe in connection, is that an internal job or is there something going externally that won't let you be safe? Mm. But we're yeah. not going to grow. I don't care how many sermons you hear. I don't care how many podcasts you listen to. Without that level of safety, then there's no transformation. Mm. So without that level of safety, there's no transformation. That's so good. And actually, I thought about this earlier. And I want to talk a little more about your journey with your wife. Yeah. You know, your that that experience, the church. Yeah. But when, you know, that, that idea of like the connection between feeling safe and transformation. Mm-hmm. This is a podcast called The Church Needs Therapy. Yeah. I have my things. I think the church needs to go to therapy about heal from, grow beyond, et cetera. You have your versions. I'm sure there's a yeah. lot of overlap there. You know, if we yes. if we talk about this. Yeah. But there's also the church at her best. Yeah. There's the church when she's shining, the church when she's loving, the church when she's not manipulating, coercing, and just reenacting her own traumas, but is herself is growing and evolving and holding space for others. This is the hope. This is the beauty. This is the power of the body of Christ. Right. So with that said, when we have this beautiful theology of the body of Christ and this beautiful metaphor of Christ, I tell people not just showing up through the body next to you, but as the body next to you, yeah. as we hold, as we hold that space, what is, so what is that? What is the power, the beauty, the hope there for you when you look at the church as the body of Christ and our own journeys towards transformation, you know, what is the real potential and why is the safety and the connection? So, or the, the safety and the holding space, the physicality of it mm -hmm. so important for our individual journeys of growth. Yeah, let me answer that in possibly two different ways. So the new church we're attending, it's called Watershed. It's a phenomenal church. And so my wife and I walk in. And again, this is this is ego-based for me because I'm 16 years in a church where everybody knows me, mm -hmm. where I'm a regular speaker. And like the, it's, it's some of it's healthy and some of it's just flat-out ego. 
<laughs> like just flat out. And so now I'm not safe. Y'all, you know I do this, right? You know right. I do this. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I walk into this new church, and there turned out to be some people in there that 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 we knew. And I walk in, and and there's this man there, Kevin, and he's wearing a dress. Mm. And my body just relaxed because mm. it's just a dress. When you're healthy, it's just a dress, right? Mm. If it's a threat to me, if that somehow rips me out of my frame, something's going on. Mm. That's how he's, he and our friends now, that is how he is comfortable. And the fact that he has to have fear that someone's going to physically attack mm. him when it's just a dress. Mm. And so that's the safety for me. I want to go mm. places where things are proportional, mm. right? So when your reaction to a situation is disproportionate to the situation, it's not the situation, mm. right? That's emotional aggression. That's mm. unresolved trauma. That is childhood stuff. And so I now get to be in a church where they are very much welcoming me on the stage. They want to hear from me. They want me to be a part of, and there are people there who live differently than I would live and they're welcome there. There's a man who's been there since the second time that church had obsession. That was 18 years ago. Wow. And he is atheist and he's still <laughs> atheist. And my philosophy is not, I want to change him. I want to learn from him mm. because mm. here's the thing. When I tell people that I'm gay, if they're atheists, then I have no fear. If they're a Buddhist, I mm. have no fear. So interesting. If I tell right a Christ follower, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if I'm physically safe, emotionally safe, but me just sharing my simple truth of this, this is just who I am. And so, you know, I just, I, I love the story of the woman at the well, just going this tangent for a second. I love mm -hmm. that story. And I just want to, what I, I want to see happen in the church when she's at her best, we got preachers who are preaching about the woman at the well, but they're still sending women to the well at noon. We're not going to be okay until we stop doing that. Until the church is really about the marginalized people. Until mm. we can walk into a church and someone's wearing a dress and it's just a dress. We're mm. not okay. Mm. We're not safe. And we're mm. not yeah, when you, when you said sharing that you're gay, if a person's atheist or Buddhist, basically not a Christian, you know, you don't have to worry. I said that's interesting. And it is interesting because in my personality, like everything's interesting, but yeah. it's interesting, but it's, tr but to extend that further and clarify, it's tragic yeah. that tragic. for an LGBTQ person to be like, I can talk about my sexual identity orientation, which is obviously woven into my very, you know, self. Right. And to know the Christian, the church is the one who I would be the most like now I'm on guard. Now I have to defend myself and yeah. you're right for the, for the man in the dress or for anybody, how can you invite someone to be unguarded, right? This unguarded intimacy with God, which is where connection and transformation mm -hmm. and love and ha comes in happens when they literally need to keep their guards up to be right. safe. There you go. There you you go. know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, yeah, there you go. I, absolutely. I remember at one of the, the before COVID, the last place we met in is just a couple blocks from my house, this amazing event space called the San the entrepreneur sandbox. Mm -hmm. And I would see people who were never a part of imagine. And I don't think I'd ever been a part of a church like imagine come in. And if they were already like, you know, kind of cynical towards the church or over the church or growing beyond the church, I would see some people, you know, in different ways, like test boundaries, you know, test, like, you know, think yeah, about relationships yeah. and connect. we're testing, yeah. right? Am I safe right. here? Are you going to be like everybody else? So, so me to protect myself, I'm just going to push it all the way first to see if you're going to reject me. Right. I, yeah. And I could see yeah. pastorally, I could see that. And I, and I understand why. And I, and I am fine with that. And this one guy came in, in our last spot. And the first time he came, he wore a t-shirt that said, God loves gay porn stars. And he was straight, he, he was straight, but he, you know, he wears this shirt and, you know, we take communion or we did, you know, mm -hmm. we took communion every week. So people come to the table, everyone's welcome, Christian, non-Christian, it doesn't matter. Every, like to me, every, that's, that's it. That's the embodied gospels. Everyone's welcome at the table, wherever you are, the atheist in the front row who loves the community, doesn't not sure if he believes all the things, right. the guy in a dress, the, the pastor who's more on the concern, whatever it is. Right. 
Right. And what I love about that story was when he wore that, it was a non-issue at Imagine. Wow. Like nobody was like, oh, like, let me go tell the pastor, like, hey, Kevin, yeah. hey, what are you going to do? It was just like, right. I was like, I get what you're doing, but like nobody here cares because the boundaries that you're pushing up against don't exist here. Yeah. So you're pushing up against a boundary that for you has existed in other places, but from us does not exist in a universal sense. So you're pushing up boundaries that aren't there. And there's been other versions of that, but it goes to show it's, it's testing the safety, the welcoming, the, the heart of the environment. And I always knew, I could always feel when people did that. And I'm like, dude, like whatever you're used to, it ain't trust me like it ain't yeah exactly but that's important because you know why people are doing it and there's a real reason why can i be me here that's right and begin the journey like you say i can but does the community that's what i think about the church so often Mm -hmm. i think when some churches say everyone's welcome as they are i think in their intentions they believe that and they want to believe that, but their embodied life performatively contradicts it and says in our practices, we don't believe that though. Yeah. And, you know and what I'm saying? It's so good. And I, I love the t-shirt and I love, I love your insight of knowing that people do check to see, am I allowed to be here as, as I am, right? Am mm. I allowed to show up as me? And most of us walk around with either, either pushing people away keeping people right where they are or drawing them in. And there's something about churches saying all are welcome, hope for all. And it's not true. Mm. So if I, you know, my wife and I've talked about, we're going to call these churches that have these signs that say that. And we're going to say, Hey, that's great. So does that mean I can, I can come? Cause mm. some will say, yes, I can attend, but I can't volunteer. I can't be on a mission trip or I can't work in children's ministry or yeah, lead a certain group or whatever. Right. Or I can't be on the stage. I can, I can bring your table on the stage and set it down. I can be, I can volunteer on that level, but I can't speak from the stage, even though it's my calling is what God's told me to do. Right. So it's really, we're saying hope for all we're saying all are welcomed. Then, then you get to define what that is. You get to say that's, race you get to say that's diversity and you get to say it's not gay people but please know when your tagline is all are welcome people like me are going to walk in and we're already the people who are hurt and those who already have a place where they get to feel 100 percent accepted those of us who feel rejected feel more rejected mm. and that's my concern of so many churches saying all are welcome when it's just not true it's not true because mm. you you can't really participate what it's it's such a dangerous bait and switch. Yeah. It because is. yeah, if someone like me, for example, it's cool. I could feel welcome there, of course. You know, I mean, maybe if they talk to me more, they might see me as problematic. But I mean, right. in my overall, like, okay, he's straight, he's this or that, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. But what ends up happening, like you're saying, is people hear that and young people or whoever wants to believe it, but then six months in nine months in 12 months in when they're having conversations about their sexuality when they're wanting to do this or when they're when they're being open about what like their sexuality talking about lgbtq people all of a sudden they're realizing my experience of welcome has limitation and limitations and boundaries other people's don't but i'm nine months in of opening my heart trying to believe one more time, maybe I can Mm -hmm. be somewhere, you know, and and be a part of a church. And now I met with the same, well, it's actually not that. And here's all these invisible walls that we didn't show. And now that person, it's that much less likely they're ever going to come back to church. It's that much, it's that much less likely they're going to be in those hopeful spaces that we desire them to be in so they can experience the healing. And that that's just, the irresponsibility of that right. is is yeah. troubling and is very yeah, it's, problematic. Yeah, it's very irresponsible. And again, each church can decide what they want their their definition of diversity to mean. You can decide that. Just please have an awareness that there are people who are looking to be loved and to be accepted and and to know that they can come in and not be considered nothing and nobody. They want to be somebody. They want to be in the kingdom. They want to know that they are chosen as a, as God's word has told us. And to walk in and think that this is where I get to be me. And then be told, you can be you, but you can't do this. You can't 
do X, Y, Z. Like that is, that is not in my opinion at all, anything Jesus would say or do. Mm. And they, to bring this full circle, they desire the things that we talked about in the beginning, the connection, the desire to transcend the patterns and the church can become that body that holds the space that gets them to believe that for the first time. So that like, so often people, how how can some people believe they're loved by God when they're not being loved by us? Yeah, and I think we are the body well who yeah. they feel the love there. And maybe just maybe if we hold that space as the body long enough, they can start to trust it's actually coming directly yeah. from spirit. And that's the beauty and the gift of the church, which since we have 10 minutes left, here's what I want to ask you. I think it's such an important question. And I think it's a in general, for certain people, I think it's a really important question as we talk in your journey. With all of your experience in the church, the 16 years, the teaching pastor, um, so much work with individuals and healing, work with churches, addiction groups, sobriety, right? All kinds of great stuff that you do when you're contributing. You, you come out, you marry Larissa. I'm assuming there's such a long, long, painful, crazy conversations. This person saying that, but the stories, which people don't know how common those are for people who are daring to come out, you know, and, and be followers of Jesus and hopefully have a church with all of that said, how do you still stay so hopeful and connected with the church and believing in the church? Yeah. Cause, because I want to say one thing before you answer um, just to, for people to understand my perspective on that, yeah. one of the tragic ironies right now is the amount of grace and love it requires for any LGBTQ plus person mm-hmm. to even consider yeah. still being a part of church. Like the irony of the place of grace and love, rejecting the people who now become the grace and love to even give the church. To me, there's just like, it's funny and it's tragic and it's crazy, but it's amazing. And I've seen that in our own church as well. And so many stories of people who have come through. How do you, after all that, still stay hopeful and connected with the church? Yeah. Great question. So, you know, part of that too, is that I know so many people who have a friend named Kaylee and she went to three churches before she could find one to baptize her because she's gay. And to me, the focus is the resiliency, the love of God that she's willing to go three churches where I know Mm -hmm. heterosexuals who leave a church because one thing gets said that they don't like and they leave the church. Like Mm. it's the resiliency of the gay people that I know, the Mm. people like Jonathan who can walk down the street wearing a dress because that's what feels right to him. And he he Mm. got completely removed from his previous church. He still loves God. Mm. And so my story, especially my story of addiction, God was in it. All of it. I didn't, only time I said God's name was to say it in vain. Like I Mm. did not know him. I did not grow up in church and God pursued me and was with me. There was never a separation. And so no one can take that Mm. from me. And there's something about being in community and also, I want the I want to end the stigma. I want to end the stigma about mental health. I want to end the stigma about gay people. And the, mm. and and the Bible really doesn't talk about homosexuality. Mm. It really doesn't. If you want to take the time mm. to to mm. research it, and I don't even know if it's worth even the argument because I don't have to argue something that I just know is true that this is who God says I am. If you study neurobiology, you will learn at what part when you're an embryo does your sexual orientation get dictated, and when your gender gets dictated, and your physical gender and your mental gender are two different Mm. times Mm. where God determines that. And so I have so much knowledge about the neuroscience, but also just to be in a church around people who are doing their best. Mm. And I get it. My previous church, they did what they thought was right. They Mm. had to choose. They chose money over, over people. They did. Mm. They chose profit over people. They need Mm. to do that. He's got to think about people's salaries. He's got all these things to think about. Mm. He made a decision. I made a decision. Mm. What I will no longer choose is anything that won't let me experience God's love. Mm. So as long as I choose me and the God within me, then I'm okay. Mm. I don't do, do the listeners understand that this is a free podcast right now. This is a free podcast. All right. I just want to remind people right. of that. 
Mm. You know, I, when, when you interviewed me, I'm, I'm sure I, I hope I, you know, thanked you for having me on, especially as a first time writer and how meaningful that is. And, you know, now to come on for you to come on here, this has just been so, so good. I hope that our connection here continues into the future. Cause I already told you I'm reaching out again for the second book, which will be sooner than later. And with, uh, as our time comes to an end, where can people find you? Where can we point them towards to follow along with you, get some more resources from you or whatever the good things that you have going? That's great. Thank you for that. And thank you for letting me be a part of this. Yeah. My truth and speaking so openly. I just really, you know, I can, I know you're in Hawaii. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. We can still feel each other's energy and know that mm. we're just truly connected. And I appreciate that safety you provided here. So if you want to find me on Facebook, you can. I have a, a, a personal page and a private, and then also um, a professional page. Also Instagram, KB Honeycut. But go to ice honeycut with two t's by the way honey and then c-u-t-t because more is better so extra t on there (laughs) i see you talks is my ministry or our ministry i started eight years ago because i wanted people who had a raw testimony have a place to share it and it didn't have to be simple it didn't have to be i drank i stopped drinking i have jesus now i'm good we wanted people to share about being having bipolar about losing people to mental illness we wanted a place people could just share raw testimonies and so icutalks.org is out there also have a resource list there for people who are looking for therapists inpatient all that kind mm. of stuff and awesome. also kimhoneycut.com is where i show people I'm, all my things I offer as a trauma recovery consultant and as a psychotherapist as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and, and on the book, website, on my book too, but your mother loves you is on Amazon. Yes. But your mother loves you. And the subtitle is. So I don't even know. It's too long. Who knows? <laughs> but <laughs> just so you, for when people find it, but your mother loves you subtitle, how to overcome a cycle of toxic love and live your life without shame. That's and also it. the the talk that I referenced in the beginning, shame is the graffiti that covers our purpose. That was TEDx Charlotte. By looking yeah. up her name and that title, you'll find it on YouTube. It's also on our website too. When you scroll down, and yeah. all kinds of good stuff yeah. in North Carolina, Kim. I'm so so grateful. I'm really, I this is this is a a really good one, and it's one of the these deep, profound, practical. There's so much deep, profound, practical wisdom here. Hmm that actually impacts us every single day. That's why these conversations are so important because the narratives, the shame, the overworking, the why do I do this? Why do this is actually the things that are getting in the way of the things we want. And that's why the wisdom that you shared is just so, so important. So last time, thank you so much. We will stay in touch and uh, yes, have a great for you night. I'll have my rest of the day because it's almost, it's just about noon here. Yeah. Thank you, Kevin. Okay.